Hello and welcome to the podcast version of Kenya's biggest conversation that's broadcast live every weekday morning from 6 to 10 a.m. on Spice FM. Hit subscribe for more thought-provoking conversations with your hosts Eric Latif, Ndu Oko and C.T. Muga and who's who of an eclectic mix of guests from the world of politics, policy, business and culture. This is a Situation Room podcast. Enjoy. We have a guest in the studio this morning. It's for the record. The book is out. He talked about it last time he was here and he said, you know, my book will be coming out next month. And he thought, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Ed and we hear this all the time. Here is the book, Ed and Duale's For the Record, the inside story of power, politics, lawmaking, and leadership in Kenya. Good morning, Waziri. Morning, uh, good people. Welcome to Kenya's Biggest Conversation. Asante Sada for joining us and uh, for coming to share with us about this. I mean, Yours has been the headline in the last two days on the standard. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Today's is this one. How Kalonzo goof cost him the presidency. So let's talk about that. One of book. yesterday made me I did some sales. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday's yeah, yeah. yesterday's So I hope today I get I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. At least the forward of the president was uh, captured yesterday. Yes. The president gave you the, the forward for this particular book. Yes. Uh, he's written actually three pages. One, two, three, four. No, five pages of the forward yeah. by His Excellency the President. You have basically given us a book that is 32 chapters long. <laughs> and you've broken it down into, you know, various chapters and where you tell it in different ways. And Ndu, your first reaction after reading this book you know, when you, when you first told me, okay, I've read the book. Yeah. What was it that you said? The first thing I said to Eric, I said, this reminds me of the person who gives you the details of, I went to and I saw and I went to and I saw and... And I participated. And I participated and I was there. And, you know, for me, the prose ha- was storytelling. And I was like, wow, okay. It's an account. Mm. It's a recount of events. But then when you look beyond the words... There's a deeper story there. It didn't really matter what chapter you were in. And I mean, as we look at these 32 <laughs> chapters, every one of them, from when you were a young boy yes. to where you are now, was a recount of things. You were right there. And then again, I was like, this is not just a fly on the wall situation. Mm. And when we, in the Kenyan concept, uh, context rather, think about politicians, we think about those who are just hopping from one place to another trying to go for their expediency but this for me then was like you know these are experiences yeah and they're decisions that are being fueled by these experiences and it's a little bit deeper than what we see on the outside yes actually a lot deeper than what we see on the outside. it's quite deep in how the story is being told yeah in, in the way you've told it one one and to the other it was interesting that you chose the words that you chose for your prologue <laughs> yeah, that because prologue was interesting. The we discussed that. The immediate well. first page of the prologue <laughs> is where you talk about a meeting that was taking place in Naivasha. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you had a long day of the meeting. The prologue is long, but uh, <laughs> the, the meeting in Naivasha, in the wee hours of the night. In the wee hours of the night, and attracted what you attention of many people. <laughs> this, I'm sure, has sold a couple of copies for you <laughs> in how you tell this particular story. What was this meeting that was taking place in Naivasha? What was it about? That was the first parliamentary group meeting of the then powerful ODM party mm-hmm. after sharing power under the national accord. Mm-hmm. That was our first. Those who became ministers, those who became assistant ministers and the whole leadership led by the prime minister. Yeah. We went for the first parliamentary group meeting. So mm-hmm. 
There are those who wanted to become ministers, uh, they lost that chance. There are those who are now assistant ministers. There are those who are dejected. They, a number of us were saying, why can't we stay in the opposition benches? And why are we going with, with we think we won this election? Mm. Why are we going for Nusumkate? Mm. We can bring down this government because we have the numbers. Why are we sharing power with people who stole our election? So mm. there was a lot of uh, discussion. So we had to have a PG, and it started around uh, 6 p.m. for two days. So mm. that was one of the memorable uh, moments. Uh, Anyang Nyongos, Professor Anyang Nyongos, our Secretary General, Henry Kosge was our chairman. So it was the first time we came face to face with the top leadership mm. of uh, ODM after the post-election violence, yep. after the Kofi Annan story, and after the Kibaki and the Raila formed their Grand Coalition government. Mm. Of that, those who are saying even the, the ministries were given, these are leftovers. Uh, again, Kibaki has chosen change. So it was a very, very different people had uh, came with different ideas and concerns to mm. that PG. Mm. So, but uh, that prologue, uh, that section you're talking about is uh, after the meeting, after the dinner, and everybody uh, went back to his room. That's where I started my story. <laughs> it was a very interesting start, that's true. And I think it drew a lot of people in, not just in terms of the details of you know, what was happening at the periphery of this meeting. Yes. But then also what is then probably habitual for lots of people. If I can take a few steps back, first of all, I think that it is extremely important that we as Africans write. I think that we don't write enough. I think that a lot of what we see in books has been given to us by people. A lot of the books that we read or have read in the past mm -hmm. have come to us from non-Africans. Mm -hmm. So every time that another African yes. writes, we do a lot for our history. Yes. And I think that every time we have a further com contribution towards writing, it is something that must be lauded. So I think we could take that opportunity to congratulate you for that you. as we add to it. Mm. But then the question is, why did you decide to write this book with these details? You could have written about anything. You could have written about anything, but you chose to talk about lawmaking and leadership in Kenya. Why did you do that? Yes, I think that's a very uh, fair question. This book, um, if you read from, from the first page to the last page, 371 pages, mm -hmm. the period is between, let me say, 2002, a bit 2003, but from 2005, the orange versus banana referendum mm -hmm. till August this election, of last election. So that's a huge, uh, uh, it's a long time in, in, in terms of the time frame. Mm. And this is a time when I spent uh, in my entire life in that period mm. in the political class. So that's why uh, politics and leadership comes in. Mm. And during this period, I think half of it, I was the leader of majority. So what was I doing? I was the anchor and the, the person in charge of lawmaking and also government agenda in the legislature, whether it's bills, sessional paper, treaties, motions, statements. So that's why I picked on that title. Mm. Mm. But you know, after, uh, and I think there's a chapter in this book uh, called The 22 Minutes. Yeah. You know, I was a leader of majority for close to eight years, mm. and that was abruptly ended in 22 minutes meeting of a parliamentary group meeting at KICC. So when I went home that night mm. and the following days and the following weeks, I realized I had a lot of free time because the office of the leader of majority is a very, very busy office. Mm. So I had a lot of free time and I had a lot of energy, and I think uh, 
course, uh, with friends, I decided uh, to write a book. Mm. One thing that helped me uh, out of today is every day, at the end of the day, before I go to bed, I spend about 20, 30 minutes to recap the main events of my life. Even today when I go back, mm. I'll say I was here and we discuss this and, and jot it down and put it somewhere. So it was easier for me to co recollect, sit. I think before I, before I came to the final copy, and I want to thank you and say that uh, I had a very, very good editorial team. Mm. You know, I had about 10 files of this book. Mm. <laughs> And from the first one to the 10th one, we're making corrections, adding, subtracting. So I had a very, very, and I don't think anybody will find an error in this book. Mm. And I want to thank that editorial team. Of course, I had the editorial team, the design team, my good lawyer who made sure that from the copyright to everything, we make sure we have, we are cut in law. Mm. So I tried to write this book, but before I wrote this book, I read three books, very, very books and I'll, I'll ask you people, good people to read. One was by John Bolton, the former national security advisor of Donald Trump. He wrote a book just, just after he left office and it's called uh, The Room Where It Happened. Mm. Mm. You know? Mm. Basically, how the statecrafts and bureaucrats run government in the US and more so during Trump. Then I read another book because you remember that period where, when I left office, there was a uh, this issue of uh, deep state systems. Yep. <laughs> so there was a book written by New York, uh, hmm. New York Times, yeah. a famous columnist uh, called Mike, uh, I think, uh, Fulgram. Hmm. He wrote a book, a very interesting book, hmm. and a friend sent me from the US called The Deep State, The Fall of the Constitution and Creation of Shadow Government. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting book. So I read that book. I wanted to know what is this deep state. Yeah. So I read that book. And finally, then I read a book by a former prime minister of the UK, David Cameron, yeah. on the same title, mm. for the record. Mm. Then with that, and I had to tell my story. You know, as, as, uh, as you said, I think the Kenyan political class, particularly top leadership, William Ruto, Raila Odinga, Uhuru Kenyatta, Mwai Kibaki, and the second tire, they have a lot about. You know, people talk about former prime minister participated in the constitution, he's a reformist, he's the Democrats, you know, he's the one who gave us all these uh, good things we're enjoying, the constitution, the Bill of Rights, but that must be written. Yeah. Yeah. For generations, for our children to see. Yeah. So I think I have set the ball rolling. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, um, it's not a very popular book with some of the chapters. When you read the chapter on, um, he bought my book yesterday. I didn't tell him that he has a chapter in my book, uh, The Honorable Musaliam Davadi, mm. uh, Deal or No Deal. Mm. You remember that period yes. uh, mm. Musalia uh, became our flag bearer mm. in Jubilee, yeah. in, I think it was two weeks. Then there's a chapter on my very good now friend and, and the same coalition, uh, Anway Guru, mm. on uh, You Have Touched a Life Wire, mm. on the NYS uh, mega scandal. Yeah. Of course, what is in the headline, uh, you people Kenyans today can read that and, 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 and can also cannot deny. Most of, 90, 100% of what I've said here, I dare them deny. It's, it's an actual account. Of what happened. Of what, of what happened. happened. Today, the headline. Mm. It's true. Kalonzo said that. So let's go into what Kalonzo said, because this is what you say, that, you know, those at that time uh, before the election of 2003, no, 2013. 2013, yes. And in the run-up to that election, there's a whole issue of, you know, the Hague, um, Uhuru has been indicted, Ruto has been indicted, and the journey towards this election and what ought to happen. And then there's a conversation that takes place with Kalonzo Musioka. What was that conversation? Where was it taking place? And what was it about? You know, the period between 2007 elections, post-election violence, Kofi Annan, the coalition government, it flows down to the 2010 constitution. Mm. 
And the 2010 constitution, I dare say it, was lately at the far end was influenced by the political scenario then. Everybody agreed on a parliamentary system. Mm. But because Uhuru and Ruto were at the ICC, and they were very credible potential candidates for 2013 general elections, mm. there was a feeling that we must take over government. Mm -hmm. Okay, we must unite, we must form a coalition, and we must deny Raila Odinga the presidency. So there was this team of uh, uh, the Legio Saitoti, uh, Uhuru Kenyatta, and Kalonzo Musioka in one corner mm -hmm. in PNU. Then there was the ODM uh, of Raila Odinga and the rebels, then led by William Ruto and myself and many of us who are, one time they called us in this book, you see they called us rebels, they called us remnants, mm -hmm. many, many terminology. <laughs> So there was a G7, you remember, mm -hmm. uh, of Kalonzo Musioka, George Saitoti, Wamala was somewhere in a corner, and Uhuru Kenyatta, preparing themselves for 20. 2013. But you know, Kalonzo Musioka and uh, George Saitoti, as they were talking to Uhuru Kenyatta, they were also, uh, Saitoti was a member of the subcommittee, cabinet subcommittee on ICC. Yeah. And both of them, in fact, uh, in my book, you see, we met Saitoti at one time with William Ruto, and he said, you know, you guys, in the event you are indicted by the ICC and you can't stand William Ruto, you know, I'm a pastoralist. Mm. I'm a Maasai mm. on one end. And on the other side of the coin, I'm called Mudengi. Mm. Uh, I can appeal to the voters in mm. Mulima, Kenya. So can you guys, can I be the, your candidate? Mm. So Kalonzo Musioka, uh, as, he did, as he was doing this story today, uh, shattered diplomacy on behalf of, of uh, Kibaki mm. to save Ruto and Uhuru. But at the back of his mind, he didn't mind these two characters going to The Hague mm. because there was an opportunity there. For him. So there was that confusion. So at one time, uh, when the, the indictees now was properly announced and uh, now there were six Kenyans who were facing the ICC, mm. we gabbled with a number of options. One option was, uh, can we support one candidate who, when we, he forms government, he can look into our issues. Mm -hmm. A government that will support the two candidates on their case in ICC. So Kalozo Musioka was an option, Saitoti was an option. Of course, uh, Raila was not an option, he was not on the table. There was a feeling, and I think to some was true, that Raila was working with his international partners, the Western governments, choices have consequences. So the, the, the new kid that the West was pushing was Raila Odinga. So mm -hmm. Raila was not an option. So one evening, uh, uh, after we formed now, URP and TNA, these are now new parties that came to the space. Mm. And we realized that uh, William Ruto alone cannot win. Uhuru Kenyatta alone cannot win. What do we do? Then we formed an alliance of URP TNA. On one side, we were struggling with IC, the other side, we were saying, how do we form? Mm. So one evening they drives, there was an idea now. And that's why even the one of uh, Mudavadi came in and they went to Kalonzo's home and they said, man, we want to give you uh, the seat. Mm. But we must agree. You take the presidential, Uru becomes your running mate. William Ruto becomes the leader of majority. We share government, 33-33%. And, uh, but you must, we have these demands. I mean, we are facing a serious issue. As we are coming to give it to you as a good friend of ours, in the event, this ICC uh, story becomes complicated. We have a government that can do... Is, yeah. is friendly to us. Yes. Mm. And you know, Kalonzo by nature, if you ask me, because I've, I have worked with him in the 10th parliament. He was the, the vice president. He was the uh, leader of government business in parliament, somebody I know very well. Kalonzo is very casual in his talk. Even when he talks on TV, you see, what, where, what do I pick? Mm. What you guys call the, 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 the bites, mm. the news mm. bites. Mm. So Kalonzo just said, uh, you know, I am a senior counsel, okay, you guys, and both of you are not lawyers. Your case is not that bad. <laughs> Uh, you know, I have studied uh, Ocampo's uh, uh, <laughs> paper.
person evidence. Okay. And uh, you guys, will you first you confirm you guys, will, you'll be jailed. Ah. Yeah, and you'll be jailed for not much, not, not that much, but 10 years. years yeah. You know, you should have said eight years. You should have said even 11 years. He picked on the, the term of a president. Two terms. <laughs> Two terms. So while you're away. So he said, well, you guys, 10 years, uh, I'll be the president. And when you come back, I'll hand over to you. So and uh, so why? what's wrong if, you, if, you, if you're in jail for 10 years? That uh, infuriated uh, most of the former president. He walked away mm. and uh, he went outside the gazebo and started puffing his cigarettes. Mm. <laughs> and he left William <laughs> with this guy, with this uh, serious uh, council, yeah. serious council. <laughs> and where were you at this time and what were you thinking? In fact, we, they left us at our strategy meeting. Mm. So you were not in this room? No, 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 no. So when they came back and uh, they, were, they were in their own car, <laughs> so we asked William, what happened? <laughs> William said, you guys, uh, something serious has happened. Yeah. <laughs> Kalonzo said, and Kalonzo later confirmed to me. You know, I think he, after they left, he realized the blunder. He called, he said, so you call a number, but he said, you guys, uh, what happened? We told him, you said this. He said, yeah, but how can we do damage control? <laughs> and that, by the way, uh, led uh, to the next, the following day that we decided we present Uhuru Kenyatta as a candidate. Of course, after that, we went into the, the coalition. Uh, and I think I looked for it, uh, mm. The coalition agreement between TNA mm. of Uhuru Kenyatta mm. and URP of uh, William Ruto, mm. that thing, I think, after we formed government 2013, somebody decided to shred it. Because that agreement, uh, I think, should be given to the people of Kenya. But I can, I know the contents, you know. We shared power. So who kept it? Of the, course, there were two copies. I think there, was there a, were two copies. A I think the, two of, the two of them kept it. And the URP copy. They were signed by the chairperson yeah, of the yeah, two yeah. parties. Your chairman in URP was the former speaker. No, I think the two principals they kept it. The two principals kept yeah, it. Yeah, because even later, you know, there was another agreement by Najib uh, Balala uh, and by Charity to, to our it. coalition. Mm. They didn't bring anything. I think uh, Balala's party was called the Republican Party. Mm. Even didn't win one MCA. Mm. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, Balala and... Uh, and I think I said it in my book. Mm. Balala and uh, Charity Ngilu are the most crafty politicians. Mm. They jump ship. They know where government is for me. So they must be in government. This is the only government they are not in since 2002. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but you know, the, 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 the hallmark of that agreement, TNA-URP, cabinet was shared, ministerial position was shared. It was 50-50. Even in parliament, William Ruto took the deputy president, he mm. took the leader of majority in the National Assembly, which I took over from, mm. which I took for as, a, as a URP member, mm. and we were to take the, the deputy speaker in the National Assembly, the speaker of the Senate, how Ethereum became. And then even if you go to government, uh, Ministry of Finance, Ministry of uh, Energy, mm. and many others. So, this so, is how it so, so the story about Kalonzo is very true. Mm. Maybe today Kalonzo could have been a uh, the fourth president. Could have been this. Maybe the fourth president. <laughs> I want to read an excerpt of, uh, from this book on page 231, which is something that was happening in The Hague during the status conference. And you and other leaders were in The Hague for this. And on that evening, you decided to give an interview to Mohammed, Hussein Mohammed and Francis Gashuri, who are also at The Hague. And uh, you went on TV, on Citizen TV, and he said, Tonight, I want to tell Kenyans that we have found out who our enemies in the diplomatic community are and who our friends are. I want to tell Kenyans that enemy number one who fixed the president and is now fixing the deputy president is the British government. And he said, When I finished the interview, my phone rang. It was Turner, the British High Commissioner in Kenya. I did not peek. He called again a few minutes. Why are you exposing my country? Why are you not talking about the other European countries? He asked, Fumi, 
over the line from Nairobi. I have confirmed that your government is the owner of the ICC cases against Kenya, I said. And then you continue now further on in the, in the story to show how that played out on very many other things that you were doing, even as leader of a majority in parliament. Why did you decide to go this uh, forthright and blunt? You know, that's why my book is called For the Records. Yeah. So it's the record I'm giving. You know, I went to The Hague uh, or Netherlands 26 times, solely only for the ICC. From the time the indictment took place mm -hmm. up to the last status conference and the judges uh, made their ruling on William Ruto. During this period, I think it was uh, when we had uh, the status conference on the case of William Ruto. And we, had, we were a huge uh, group of politicians. And our head of uh, legal team, to say more from the political side, was Professor Kindiki, uh, who was at that time, I think, the leader of majority in the Senate. And the status conference of the state parties usually happens every two years. Mm -hmm. And that time, the chair of the bureau was the, I don't know whether he's still there, but by then he was the Minister for Justice. Mm -hmm of the Republic of Senegal. From government, there was Rachel Mamo, there was Amina Mohammed, there was our, our former PS uh, Ambassador Kamau, who was then our ambassador in New York. Majority of our ambassadors in the European uh, enclave mm. were in The Hague, and a group of about 30, 40 uh, MPs. And in that book, you see at one stage uh, when uh, Waititu took off, yep. you know, it's mm. a very it's, uh, interesting chapter. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of lobbying and caucusing. The Kenyan civil society led by uh, John Joe and Gladwell and many of them were also in certain part of that conference, mm -hmm. you know, lobbying and uh, putting posters everywhere, you know, and that's how the p kind of posters they were putting made the YT2 and uh, even by extension James Turi to take off because they were saying with the, you know, posters with their hands in blood and these are the Mungikis. Mm. So I think when uh, YT2 saw the, uh, the flyers and the posters, uh, going around, he took off. So we, we, what happened was, before my interview with Citizen, mm. we engaged the diplomatic community because the status conference came to a halt. The bureau was in a meeting the whole day. Mm. And there were many people affected by the quagmire that was existed. And in fact, if you see in this book, at one stage, I bumped into a law professor from Harvard who didn't know what was happening. He asked me, are you, where are you from? Mm. And I didn't want to, to give my identity. I said, I'm from Tanzania. Mm. And then he said, what's going on? And I said, uh, he asked him, I don't know. He said, there's a country called Kenya, right. which has issues here. And so when I talked to a number of the diplomats, and we could see physically, there was a young lady, uh, a British diplomat, who was from the, the foreign office, mm. foreign commonwealth office. So we, we met the diplomats, the European Union, me and Professor Kindiki went into their meeting and asked us, you guys explain to us what's going on. Because they're the ones who are pushing for the Kenyan case, mm. particularly the British Germans. So they, a number of them, you know, off camera, they told us, you know, you guys, we are not into this business. Our big brother. By then, the, 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 the UK was part of the European Union. Yeah. These are the guys who are pushing it. Then I decided to call uh, a number of ambassadors back here home. I talked to the Italian ambassador then in Nairobi. I talked to the French ambassador then in Nairobi. I talked to a number of other ambassadors. They said, uh, we have no problem with Kenya. We have no problem. We are not part of this ICC. You talk to your, your former colonial power. So when I walked out and it was the end of the, our functions that night, I bumped into a big uh, camera, live camera by Hussein. And so I said, uh, what I said in the book. And Kesatana called me. I didn't pick the first second time I picked. And he said, uh, 
His main concern was, uh, you should have said European Union. Mm. Why are you isolating? Why are you singling it? <laughs> so I, to I told him, my friend, you are not in the, you are not in the Hague. Mm. I am in the Hague, mm. and I know what's happening. He didn't have the privileged uh, information that I had. Mm. And then I went to go and sleep, and uh, when I woke up in the morning, the first call I got was from Setaus. Mm. You read that chapter. Yeah. And uh, I was told the president uh, received a call uh, early in the morning from uh, David Cameron mm -hmm. on this matter. Mm. And uh, I told the president, uh, I am ready to substantiate my allegations. And, uh, and then that time, you know, there was a defense cooperation agreement yep. in parliament. Yep. It was in my drawer and I kept it for two years. You had not tabled it. Yeah, because the, 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 the house was toxic. The issue of uh, ICC was key agenda for the, uh, for the Jubilee, uh, quotes and quotes, at times of CRPTNA. Mm. So I knew if I tabled that uh, defense agreement, that defense agreement could have flopped. Mm. Members could have rejected it. So I never, not only that one, I never used to hesitate to go and table a document for the sake of it if I know the House will reject it mm. because you'll have another six months to go and table it. Mm. Mm. So later, if you read this book, um, I went to House of Commons, uh, Prime Minister's time, and then one evening, uh, I was, as, as I was flying to The Hague, uh, I was called to the Foreign and uh, Commonwealth Office. I think it's in that same chapter. And I met the minister for the deputy minister for African Affairs. We talked about all this and this, and he said, "Why are you not? Why, why are you not passing my? Why is uh, you not passing my cooperation agreement?" <laughs> mm. And I told him, "You know the situation, man. As long as William Ruto remains at the Hague, the environment is not conducive mm. for the ratification of your defence agreement. Period." And after 20 minutes, he asked me, "Okay." In our discussion, he said, "Okay. So if we deal with this matter of the ICC." Uh, we will get our deal. We'll get our deal. I, so I said yes. Mm. And you know you'll be shocked. Since then, I left the Commonwealth, uh, Foreign Commonwealth uh, Office in London and I took my flight to The Hague mm. to attend to the proceedings. Just before William Ruto was off the hook by the judges, the thing moved very fast. William was uh, off the hook. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I came back, I think I have documented the, the then ambassador, Tana, by then has left. He went back to foreign office. I think he became a director of somewhere in African or Asian affairs. Then after uh, Ruto was off the hook, uh, people were celebrating and I forgot everything. I went back to my business. You did not Nick, table the difference? Not, no. <laughs> then uh, I didn't table Nick Haley. <laughs> then the British ambassador called me and he said, uh, where is our agreement? Where, where is the deal, man? They're yeah. part of... And that time, you know, um, it was not only me, it was me and James Turi, the mm. Solicitor General then. Then I said, uh, but there's a statement, you know, he'd, uh, he made. Later I came to confirm from colleagues in the diplomatic world. He said, you know, if you don't do this, uh, my government will have challenges. You'll have challenges with my government. Mm. So I didn't know that. The one challenge with my government is a serious diplomatic. Yes. <laughs> so I went and asked people, what is that? They told me, man, that is a serious statement. <laughs> then I went to President Kenyatta and told him, man, you know, uh, we have a deal with these guys. Mm. Can we pass the DC? And then he, he said, fine. He talked to the deputy president. The deputy president was a bit hesitant. By then, he had not recovered well from the ICC. Mm -hmm. He said, I am, I am not going to call a parliamentary group meeting to pass this, to pass, to pass uh, this, uh, something for this the document of the imperialist. Yeah. <laughs> what he used. Mm. It's interesting, um, Wasiri. So, but later we... Mm. When I wanted again to pass with the BG, then I fall into another turbulence from the from the Meru members of parliament who had issues with the Mirawa banning in the UK, the Maasai and the pastoralists because of the where the where, where the, the British forces uh, do their training. Mm -hmm. uh, then ODM also became a problem. I had to tell the ambassador now you need to talk to Raila because Jacoyo, the late Jacoyo, my good friend, was also marshalling the 
the opposition to reject it. But Raila called you know, when I was in the floor of the house, talked to Jacoyo, and later we passed. Mm. That's what under the bridge. So that's how the story was. Do you think the defense cooperation agreement and what was happening in Kenya could have played a role in making the UK stop or change tune with regards to the ICC case? I don't think so. I think the judges act on uh, the evidence and the facts that they had. Mm. You know, if uh, I mean, I was around and you were around, uh, uh, the ICC case was more political. I think uh, not even for Ben Suda. I think for Ocampo, he bangled. You know, the first question we're asking is three from ODM, three from uh, PNU. You remember the story of uh, Kenya Human Rights Commission, Hassan Omar, who's now on our side, the way they were being accused of coaching witnesses mm. and all this, the way the West government... And so are you so, saying now then that... No, I don't, don't think, think so. But I think uh, what the British government was, I think they were the facilitators. They were the political... You know, ICC is a more of a political court. Mm. So they played the... So they were the political sponsors. They were the political sponsors. And all these, you know, there was more of an international conspiracy. You know, the ICC case basically more was a factor in who becomes the president in 2013. You know, the international community believed that uh, Raila Odinga uh, won and he was denied his uh, Mm. victory Mm -hmm. in 2007. And the whole team of, I think, in the negotiation to end the post-election violence, a lot of the Western powers and even in, uh, the international players like Kofi Annan and even our regional uh, neighboring countries feel that, okay, Raila, please, uh, for the sake of the country, we will support you in 2013. Mm-hmm. So the Western government felt like uh, who might be the biggest threat and competitors to a Raila candidature. And I think... They were not bothered about Kalonzo and uh, Musalia and uh, Saitoti. They were bothered about the biggest threat will come from William Ruto or Uhuru Kenyatta. And in the event, they form a coalition. And they did exactly so that. So you cannot delink the 20, 2013 presidential succession, Kibaki succession politics from the ICC. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting, even as we look at all of this, and then again, that chapter that talks about 22 minutes when you were on the phone with former President Uru Kenyatta, and he asked you very clearly if you were with him, and we're talking about 2022, he asked you very clearly, are you with me or are you with William Ruto? By the time you're having that conversation, you had already. Ma- it seemed like you had already made a decision about where you were. And even as we read the words of this book, it's clear that a lot of these decisions, whereas we on the outside who see them, it looks like, again, I repeat, looks like you're hopping from one side, but it seems to be very formulaic in nature. There's a lot of balance that's being applied. If I do, then what happens? Is that the case? Was that the case when these decisions were being made? When Uruwe Kenyatta was with you on the phone asking you, Dwale, are you with, are you with me or not? You know, after the I, I, after the 2017 general election, mm. after 2018, 2019, I was, uh, I think, one of the very few people, I was naive, I was in denial, mm. that uh, the marriage of, between Ruto and Uhuru Kenyatta of 2010, 2011, 2013, and the Hague is so cemented that I don't think these guys will have a problem and they will leave. Mm. So I was in denial. And when I go to William Ruto, I ask him, what's the problem? He says, there's no problem. When I go to Uhuru Kenyatta, he says, have you heard from me? I have no problem with William Ruto. So I was in denial. And again, I felt as a leader of majority, very critical office in the running of government, I should be the last person to fuel the differences. Mm. But you know, the gap and the differences was widening. Mm. And uh, 
when the president called me, it's the first time I heard, you know, of the word uh, properly, the word split loyalty. Hmm. I asked him, what, what is the problem? I'm doing your, the work of government and national yeah. assembly. William is my friend. You are my friend. What's the big? He says, no, 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 no. He said, my people, the people around me, the deep state then, he said, even if you change everybody in the leadership who are perceived to be allies of William Ruto, and you leave the leader of majority, Aden Duale, the big snake is still there. So he said, he convinced me that uh, William Ruto has done this, is bad, is bad, please join me in the war. Mm. And I think that is one of the most difficult periods. And if you ask me in this book of 22 chapters, yeah. which chapters I wrote with a lot of joy, and the ones that I wrote when I was thinking was and said, this must be a difficult decision. <laughs> So I think because, you know, I have worked a very long personal and political journey with William Ruto. And being a Muslim, I had to think very fast. So I told the president, uh, which I have not very much, I think, documented, because he didn't believe. You know, he talked, and uh, when he gave me a chance to speak, I told him, you know, Your Excellency, I'm a Muslim. Mm -hmm. Secondly, uh, I came to this coalition via URP. This man, William Ruto, took the top seat of the deputy president. The next seat was the leader of majority party, which well, the party the gave it to me. Mm -hmm. This guy is very close to my family, to my children, my brothers, uh, and he knows them. We have been with him many times, and he has never offended me, but mm -hmm. he has contributed. If you go to my constituency and my bigger Muslim constituency, he's done a lot of Arambis. The <coughs> footprints are there. Mm -hmm. I told him, Mr. President, uh, if it is uh, the office of the leader of majority, I'm ready to relinquish. Mm. Let me stay with this uh, guy, friend of mine. Mm. Yeah. And I think the president, when he looked at me, he couldn't believe it. Mm. That you actually gave it up? Yes. No, he couldn't believe it. I think he was expecting. And that's why I, I'm talking about when a friend, in that book, when, when a friend needs you, you need to stand with him. When you need a friend, you, you must stand with him. must be there with you. So all these, uh, you know, uh, uh, fake loyalties, uh, throwing your body at the altar of political expediency, mm. betrayal, deceit. Because if you look at from 2005 to 2022, I think it's about 17 years plus, mm. the currency, the DNA of Kenyan political leaders and polit their politics is greed, is betrayal, is deceit, you know? Backstabbing. Backstabbing. Wow. So one of, the thing that, one of the things that made me write this book mm. is for the citizens to know that uh, regardless of their political parties, regardless of the communities where they come from, mm. regardless of age, we must look... We should be loyal. Mm. Yes, we must look at the politics and the leadership in our country outside the mirror of... Uh, Can I ask you a question, though? About, yes. So this book also gave us a, an, an opportunity to see you as, as, as an individual and things that we would have never known. I mean, you're a twin. You're the baby, oh, yeah, of, you're yeah. the baby of the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? I have a twin brother, but not identical. Mm. Not identical. It's interesting. Yes. Twin mm. brother. And you talk about your experiences as a child, the poverty, the lack, your mother moving to Garissa. Oh, yes. And you talk about a sense of community <coughs> and that when you wanted to get now into leadership you thought about uh, we we saw how you came back and used cdf to make sure that there were toilets made Schools. sure that that you brought Schools. back dignity to people who poverty had taken yes. away yes so you had a loyalty to the community you had a loyalty to people and made sure that you used your position to ensure Absolutely. that people had that dignity yes. is that a far cry from where politicians are today has that 
changed over the years because now you're talking about all this you know all the games that are played you're talking about the loyalty that's important but then leadership really is then about that taking your people from one level to the next or can you still do the yes team? i'm talking about you know uh, positive you can you, you can be with your community mm. and, uh, and 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 do what you call the uh, from a positive point of view okay I am a Muslim. I still uh, have some loyalty to, to that community, to the Somali community, to my constituency. Mm. But you should not use the community for your own negative partisan interests. Every one of us, in our own uh, uh, way, we come from different communities, different backgrounds, all that. But you know, uh, you look at it, pick even the handshake between uh, President Uhuru and uh, Raila Odinga. Mm. Uh, it was not uh, a, a conclusive handshake. Kalonzo was not aware. Uh, Musalia was not there. So if you look at the positive ingredients in leadership, is where you start with your community, you empower them, you develop their social economic education, you extend it to the next community and to the wider Kenyan society. But you don't isolate your community. Mm. Use your negative energy, negative profiling that will affect not only other communities but the whole national architecture in terms of security, national security, cohesiveness, unity of the nation. So that's why I'm saying Kenya is a country of 43 or plus communities. Uh, look at our neighbors today. The moment you cross the border, somebody talks all about, I am a Tanzanian. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, we, our politics has divided. You know, we have allowed uh, ethnic politics to entrench uh, itself not for the sake of that community, mm. but for the sake of achieving uh, power. If you look at uh, the early part of my uh, book, the history of, of, of that, how I grew up and all that. In fact, I picked that section is because, you know, I wanted to be, my story to be part of the Kenyan story mm. for other people to read in the future. In the sense that a pastoralist, a poor hustler, who was somewhere in Garisandogo, who went to school with no uniform, no shoes, can rise to be the first majority leader under the new constitution and mm. become the defense minister. That will inspire many, many young leaders to come. And again, the politics of deceit, all in this book, I am sure those who will join politics going forward. They'll be prepared for they, it. In fact, my book, I think, should be a, a study book for for political science students, for those who want to join politics, for, for lecturers to, to use it for, I think, uh, <laughs> as part of their explanation. Mm. But uh, 32 chapters, there are some chapters which are interesting. I'm sure when I was writing the chapter on, um, on the handshake and many others, it took me a lot of time. Mm. But there are some which I wrote with a lot of joy. You enjoyed them? Oh, I enjoyed them. It's an enjoyable book. It is. It is. Thank so you. far from all we've read, a very good one. Eden Duale, Cabinet Secretary for Defence, who was the first, like you say, yeah. the first person under the constitution to hold the office of leader of majority in the National Assembly and establishing that office from scratch. And you're giving us the, all the intrigues, the ins and outs of the politics of the day and what you're saying and what you've called the theme of the book is the kind of politics that we practice in this country. Thank you very much for joining us and for uh, telling us more about the book. It's available. Go look for it in the, in the bookshops for the record. This is The Situation Room, the only way to start your day. How about that? You made it to the end of today's podcast. You clearly ooze stamina. Guess what? Just hit subscribe at Standard Media Podcast, Apple Podcast, 
Google Podcast, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. Our podcasts drop daily. From me and the team, catch you next time. Bye-bye.